So movie fans talk about the movie adaptations of the books of Stephen King. I still got to come up with a better way to say that. That still just seems <laughs> really weird and confusing. My name is X. I am the author of Black Friday and short stories about you. My co-hosts for this endeavor are the author of the Subdue Trilogy, Thomas Flowers, and the author of Salvage and some stories that have been recently anthologized, Duncan Ralston. How are you today, gentlemen? Excellent. How you doing? Good. Doing good. Doing good, man. Now, before there was Castle Rock, there was Jerusalem's Lot, a town better known by the shortened version of its name, Salem's Lot. <clears throat> Stephen King has actually set two stories in this town. First, his short story, uh, The Rats in the Walls, from Night Shift, and most famously, the vampire novel, Salem's Lot. So we're going to look at the original miniseries, Broadcast on CBS back in 1979, starring David Soul, Lance Kerwin, and James Mason. There are also a metric assload of just great character actors in this show, but are they enough to save the adaptation is the question, so we're going to discuss that and so much more in this episode of Screen Kings, and it's going to suck. Because <laughs> vampires. Those vampires. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll be right back after this break. <laughs> you know those old time radio shows with the married couples who bicker about the kids and the car and the neighbors? Our podcast is a lot like that. Yeah. Well, if you replace the kids, the car, and the neighbors with devil movies, theology, and vodka. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. And we are the hosts of Kiss the Goat, a different kind of movie podcast. Every episode, we review a devil movie. You know, possessions, exorcisms, the Antichrist, and we stomp a mud hole in it, even if we like it. We are huge fans of comparative religion, and we love to compare real belief systems with what Hollywood seems to think belief systems are. But don't think we're not civic-minded, because each episode includes our Satan in the News segment, where our fearless correspondent, Sin Fallon, documents the eternal struggle between good and evil. And, as high-functioning alcoholics, we give every movie its own drinking game, so that you can enjoy the movie just like we did. Ripped to the tits. <laughs> and there is ever so much more to the show than that. And let me tell you, it ain't for kids. Hell, it ain't for most adults. But it might be for you. You won't know until you listen to Kiss the Goat exclusively on the Legion Network of Podcasts. That's Kiss the Goat. We're the lighter side. Of the dark side. <laughs> Okay. I feel like uh, I should point out that it is not the rats in the walls. That's a Lovecraft story. It's Jerusalem's Lot, 
Whoa. And, yeah, it was kind of like Rats in the Walls kind of take from what I remember. It's been a couple months. In my defense, I fucked up. Um, so that was a <laughs> mistake to make. <laughs> I don't really have a defense for that. It's not like I have a like, giant repository of information I can go to at my fingertips and look things up. No. <laughs> Which might have been based on, I don't know, Edgar Allan Poe or something. Who's that guy? Who? Never heard of him. <laughs> Ben Mears has been away too long, and now at last he's come home. The men fought at Valley Forge. Daddy, come back safe. Home to the childhood memories, to the old familiar faces, to a life unmolested by time. And with your saints, let him rejoice in your presence forever. We ask it through Christ our Lord, amen. Home to Salem's Lot, a town too good to be true. What was that? Did you happen to notice the time when the boys left? We shouldn't have gone through the woods. It's a shortcut. They should have been here half an hour ago. Wait! Danny, wait! Something is happening. Something terrible. Henry! Where's Ralphie? Ralph. Where's your brother? Once the kid disappears, then this. You're not leaving Salem's lot, are you? I'm not leaving. Don't you understand what's happening? You? Yes, I do. It's in the Marston house. Good evening. I dreamed. You slept there all night? Yeah. A little tired. Didn't sleep much last night. I was dreaming. Somebody out there. Sweet. Sweet dreams. I let him in. Well, it's only all just happened since... Since I came here. It wasn't a dream. Stop, holy man! You can do nothing against the master. They're breeding on one another. The vampires are creating vampires. The monster wants you. It's a geometric progression. Two times two times four times eight. There's a dead man upstairs. Bill! Yeah, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Look at me. Ned Tebbett's body has disappeared from the morgue. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Bill! And Susan's in there! Run! No! Look at him! Stephen King, the best-selling author of Carrie and The Shining, takes you on a startling journey to Salem's Lot. Welcome back to Screen Kings, and get ready for some in-depth analysis of 1979's Salem's Lot. 
Well, maybe not in-depth so much as it is three sober guys talking about a three-hour-long movie. Maybe we should be drinking for this. <laughs> um, if you don't know, Salem's Lot concerns a writer who goes back to his hometown only to find it becoming a haven for vampires. Now, that's kind of short and sweet, which is something that the original novel is not by any stretch. But kind of pulling the story out over two nights was a great idea at the time. The miniseries was in vogue at that point, especially after Roots. So the first question that I pose, is it long enough? I mean the miniseries, not other things in general. <laughs> just Was the miniseries of Salem's Lot long enough, or should they have made maybe another couple of two-hour installments? I haven't read the book in so long that it's hard for me to say whether uh, it's has taken out too much from the book. It felt, you know, cohesive enough and it didn't feel like anything was missing aside from nobody ever remembering the writer ever having lived there. It's kind of odd. Yeah. I, it's been forever since I read it, even though I got a new copy, this nice new copy with the, uh, miniseries picture covers on the front and inside of it middle of the book there's pictures from the tv show on there it's pretty neat but yeah i haven't read the book in forever i mean i think the length of it's pretty good even it's um what early 2000s one was pretty much the same length yeah that's true so i you brought up the fact that in the book nobody remembers that ben mears the main character ever lived there (laughs) Well, he was only there for like four years or less, right? But I do How many? Think like four he, years. I think in the book it says he was only he Ben did, was only living there for like four years. Yeah, he did move away when he was a kid. Um, right. Yeah. Right. I remember because that. he was there. Oh, and that's another thing that they that they dropped out of it, which they keep in in the newer series, is the, all the stuff about him in the house when he was a kid. Yeah. Sorry, kind of going off on a tangent there. But, no, it's uh, fine because that was really important. Otherwise, why would yeah. you come back to write about that house? You know. Yeah, I mean, you see the fear in his face in the miniseries. He acts it well, but you don't see why he's scared really. Yeah, he kind of explains it, I think, later when he's having drinks yeah, with that old school go. teacher or whatever. And mm-hmm. He's like, you know what happened there, don't you? Yeah, but that's another one of those interminable scenes where he just talks and the camera just moves in real close to his face, you know, and he just stares straight ahead. It's like, show me something. <laughs> it kind of works, though. Like, he's a good enough actor to, to hold that, hold your attention. And what, what did he do before that? Was he a soap actor or something? I'm going to get razzed for that, aren't I? <laughs> uh, Starsky and Hutch. Oh, really? Yes. That's him? Yeah. He was Hutch. Huh. And he also had a number one song on the pop charts called Don't Give Up On Us, Baby. <laughs> I feel like we should listen to that. <laughs> Don't give up on us, baby Don't make the wrong seem right The future isn't just one night It's written in the moonlight Painted on the stars We can't change ours 
gave up on us, baby. We're still worth one more try. The fact that he comes back to town and everybody's like, oh, you're a writer. And they're so freaked out by the fact that he's a writer. <laughs> you know, it's got this weird stigma to it. There's that one scene where Weasel's in his room at the boarding house going through his notes and pulling paper out of his typewriter to read what he's <laughs> writing about. And they do all that to him. I'm thinking, you know what? In real life, I can't get a fucking Amazon review. So, <laughs> and he's not even a horror writer. He's like this kind of James Dickey, very serious literary writer. So this is a great place to kind of ask this question. And it's, I guess it's got three or four parts, but King loves to write about writers. Oh yeah. This you is know? very true. And yeah. uh teachers too. Yeah. Are writers weird? And more importantly, do you think the general public thinks writers are weird? I don't um, know. Maybe um go ahead, Dungle. No, go ahead, Thomas. I was just Oh, the gentleman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's really um, I think he's just writing what's familiar to him, maybe. I mean, because a lot of his characters are either writers or English major teachers or both. Is I think she... there's even a history teacher. Like, I think in Christine. I think now. Standards, for sure. Yeah. There's like a history oh, teacher awesome. somewhere. I wish, we, I wish we'd gotten more um, stories about industrial laundries. About the, the mangler? <laughs> yeah, the mangler. Yeah. Get a couple sequels like the movies. <laughs> Shoot, those are terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those are terrible, and we will. Um, we have to watch them. <laughs> um, how often did you want to smack Lance Kerwin in this movie? Which one is he? He's the he's the teen sidekick, the one oh, who. Crap. Ah! <laughs> oh, his Actually, uh, stage acting. <laughs> yeah, he's got his stage acting, but he. Uh, it's the kind of character you don't normally see um, these days, anyway. You know, the nice, studious kid. Yeah, I I thought it was kind of hilarious the way his his dad and everyone kind of betrays him. He's the uh, horror fan in the in the show, and everyone's wondering when are you going to grow up? When are you going to get rid of all this stuff? When are you going to be a man, Mark? Right. <laughs> he likes horror and magic and <laughs> yeah. Was anybody else uncomfortable when he asked his dad to tie him up? <laughs> Just for a second, I thought, we could cure this whole problem. Tie him up and walk away. Yeah, pretty much. See if he could really get out of that knot. <laughs> um, there's this, <laughs> I think, one of the worst scenes in this entire miniseries, which is why, of course, I'm bringing it up, because it was so bad. Uh -huh. I, I loved it is when Ben meets the love interest of the movie, uh, Susan Norton, played by a really young Bonnie Bedelia. Bedelia. His pickup technique involves being an absolute tool. <laughs> where he, hey, tells he tells Susan that she doesn't know how to handle a book correctly, and then he <laughs> kind of bullies her into a dinner date, which takes place at her parents' house. That so, was odd. <laughs> it is very odd. So, how would you, as writers, how would you guys have handled that scene? The actual pickup? Yeah, the actual pickup. Because, I, I mean, I, I would have made Ben more likable, obviously, but, I mean, that's... Does that work for anybody? I mean, he wouldn't have picked me up using those lines, but... 
I didn't find it too terrible for a 70s miniseries. <laughs> Particularly yeah. a 70s yes, miniseries. He's very nonchalant. Oh, who's on the book cover? Oh, hey, hey, I wrote this book. Let's, let's do dinner. <laughs> Let me hold my author picture right beneath my face so you can make the comparison. <laughs> it's a real humble brag kind of scene. It just, it just irritated me. <clears throat> the original humble brag. Right. <laughs> I think that's almost near to what the book had it, though. The uh, maybe not as rushed and awkward feeling. Why'd you mm. call it? Why'd you call the book Air Dancer? Have you finished it? <laughs> you twat! I explained it. Yeah, I'll just sit here and let you read it. Yeah, I'm gonna watch you read it and monitor <laughs> your facial expressions. <laughs> we all do that, don't we? <laughs> yes. I know I do. That's one of the most. That's what one of those. Part of you? Yeah. What part are you on? <laughs> Why are you laughing? What are you laughing at? <laughs> are you supposed to be laughing there? Um, I think the problem with adapting King to the screen, which I'm, I'm seeing it now, we'll see it even more later on. King uses so much internal monologue <clears throat> to get the motivations of his characters across. And, I, and that's another reason that I think a longer adaptation of this story would have been great. A little bit more development. You know, you could take the entire novel and make that about a season long. But did you guys get the the, the impression that this was a pilot? A pilot? Like, uh, it, did, it did sort of have that feel, didn't it, with the flash forward at the beginning? Yes. To them uh, in the church in Venezuela or something or Guatemala, one of those. Guatemala. Yeah. You know, one of those places. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the bizarre holy water that for some reason lights blue when a vampire is near. It doubles as a strange. vampire detector. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand why they did that. Cause it's a shorthand, but it was a little cheesy. Although the scene at the end works really well. The scene at the end does work really well. I just thought it was interesting. Oh, we have this glowy blue water bottle. And <laughs> and this is how we're going to start every episode. Oh, the vampires have found us again. How do you know? The holy water has told us. So, I don't know. I think that could have worked as a pilot, actually. Kind of a... Oh, for sure. Well, kind of, I mean, it's kind of dumb. Because, you know, 1979, maybe we progressed past glowing holy water. Maybe we have. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> Uh, the direct- have we, though? <laughs> yeah, really, have we? As a society, have we progressed? <laughs> Toby Hooper directed Salem Slot. Same guy who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. Why can't you tell? <laughs> well, I mean, this was right after Texas Chainsaw, right? And prior to Poltergeist? <laughs> this yeah, was, no yeah, this was right after Eaten Alive, actually. Never seen that. Oh, boy. Heard of it. Boy, are you missing out. <laughs> is that a joke? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, it is. Actually, it's really bizarre. It needs to be seen at least once. Um, Get him. Like, why did they pick him to do this, do you think? That's a good question. Because, um, you know, with a TV budget, I don't think he really got the chance to do a lot of the stuff he's famous for. I mean, there's only a few shots that really resonate in your head after mm-hmm. after watching it. I don't know. What do you think, Tommy? Not a clue. All right then. To- to- <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, you seem weird. Like most directors have weird careers. Um, True. 
George Romero has done. You know, you'd think mostly horror or zombies, but he's got a few like romantic comedies, I think, under his belt. And the same thing with Craven. He uh, was, you know, oh, yeah. he, he has some awesome horror movies that he's done, but he's also got some really oddballs there. Um, Music of the heart. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Like, like, I, I'm not even really sure what would be called Toby Hooper's style, like, except for, you know, gritty chainsaw movie, you know? <laughs> and know, bizarre, bizarro humor, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, that was definitely a little bit more evolved style of his. But I definitely, you, you definitely don't see that humor in Sam's Lot. It's very grim from the start. True. It's very soap opera like. Particularly the lighting, it's everything is is daylight or bright indoor lighting. There's no shadows. It's yeah. kind of odd. And yet, you know what? With you saying that, this really does remind mm-hmm. me of Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows. Yeah. The series. The series. The old soap opera where there's just you know tons and tons of dialogue. Barnabas Collins shows up maybe once a week, bears his fangs <laughs> or freaks out when he sees a mirror and that's pretty much it. Maybe that's what they were going for. It may have been. That's that's a really interesting interesting thought. Um, speaking of the vampire, man yeah. <laughs> I contend that Barlow Barlow is one of the best looking, most physically frightening vampires I've ever seen on screen. I mean he's got that kind of neo Nosferatu look down at <laughs> has 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 there ever been a better vampire? Well, I guess it depends on your taste. I know some people probably don't really care for Nosferatu-style vampires. They probably want something a little bit more um, Nulasque. A little, little more suave and romantic. Uh, <laughs> I mean, compare, compare the two Barrows, then, if we're going to do that, then. Uh, there, you have the Nosferatu in this one, and then in the, what, 2004 miniseries? Um, you had Rutger this, Howard. Yeah, you had the slick guy, you know. That's what we expect these days, I guess. With yeah. vampires. Although 30 Days of Night was sort of a... Return to the monster. Yeah. esque Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think where I'm at now with horror monsters, I would probably prefer Nosferatu, a, a return to traditional kind of storytelling where they are monsters. They're not... You know, dapper guys that are going to swab you with talk. You know, they're going to rip your throat out. So, what's the overall consensus here? Do we like this adaptation? Do we not? I liked it a fair bit more as a drama than a horror, but the characters were really well drawn and the acting was great. Yeah, I thought the cast of characters were fantastic. I we were talking about longevity before, and I wish they did. I mean, three hours is a long miniseries, but. You know, if they're going to make a miniseries, at least, you know, add another act, extra hour in there and show us what happened to everybody else. It seems like once it started escalating, it kind of just fell off the cliff. And there's the yeah. movie, and they're back in Fernando, you know, where yeah. the nice uh, Spanish churches and all this jazz. I want to know what happens to the characters that they set us up with, you know? I want to mm-hmm. know personally what happened to Cully. Uh, the big guy with a shotgun who set up his wife or caught his wife cheating or whatever. Oh yeah. Uh, the uh, the the real estate guy. You you see him because he's in the car and he's dead, undead, whatever. But you don't you don't know what happens to her. You don't know what happens to him or or any other the people that they set up. That's, That's true. true. 
Curious minds. They want to know. And her old boyfriend. Or the maniac that thought he was her old boyfriend. He kind of Yeah, well, we see him in a prison. And Nosferatu kind of shadows And then that's it, isn't it? No, yeah, he's, he's one of the guys who's crawling towards them in the basement. At the, ah, in the final ah yeah, that you vaguely see in the dark. Yeah. yeah. Him and Jeffrey Lewis kind of, you know, voguing their way towards... <laughs> yeah. At least, as shown a cut, outside at night, not during the day, at night, and you see all these people slowly walking towards them, their eyes are kind of glowing, whatever. At least that. And you can recognize who they are, and you can tell, at least in a shot, that the town has been infested, and it's, and it's pretty much right. over. It's, the whole town is abandoned, but there's really no, no indication of why. I do want to say two more words before I forget to mention it, and those words are Danny Glick. Danny Glick. That kid's a terrible actor, man. He's a terrible actor, but when he shows up floating in front of Mark's window... Well, sorry, Mark Glick is the is the bad actor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mark... Yes, Mark is the bad actor. Well, Danny Glick wasn't great, but I guess he didn't have to do a whole lot except hang there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought those scenes were actually really... Really good. I thought they were I do too. The, most, the most creepy. Even now, I, I think they're actually kind of creepy. The fog's kind of rolling in, or like scratching out the window. Let me in, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And the fog's moving backwards. I think that's interesting. Yeah. As soon as the mm-hmm. window opens, all the fog kind of like sucks up inside the kid's back, <laughs> and then he's there. I just hate the way they end those scenes. You know, here's the here's the big yeah. bite. Freeze frame, zoom in. It's like, okay, we get it. Thanks. Time to pee. Yeah, they were so bizarre. I don't understand why they did that because, like, the Night Stalker showed that stuff, and that was like nine, uh, seven years earlier. Right. The Kolchak movie. And, I mean, for being a vampire movie, it's really not that. It's not that gory, but at the same time, no. the goriest scene you get is when Ed Flanders gets shoved into the wall of horns. very nice why do you have that that was a little odd it's just a very strange way to decorate the house Uh, why why are the horns on the wall or why did they throw his body on the wall because I thought that was actually a pretty good scene kind of showing Straker's kind of quasi supernatural power and he Uh, was pretty badass I liked him more than the actual vampire more than Barlow like, he oh, was yeah. scary. I agree. He was very like a human character, too. If you, you know, the beginning, it almost seems like he's hesitant. Like, he really doesn't want to have Barrow come. He wants to open yeah. up this nice antique shop. And, like, and then he's really nervous. He's like, he's nervous, like, all the time. And then finally, when Barlow's there and he starts taking people out, then he's part of the game. But before then, <laughs> he's, he's very hesitant. He's very human. And the, uh, that brings. Him owning the or running the antique shop, and also Bonnie Bedelia being in it reminds me of uh, Leland Gaunt from Needful Things. Yep, that's just what I was going to say next. Actually, Stephen King really just wants to own an antique shop. I think it was like a premise, I guess. He felt it was not really used very well, maybe in Salem's Lot, because it could have yeah. been like any it could have been any kind of shop or it didn't need to be a shop at all. It just could have just been someone new to town, you know. They yeah, didn't go but, into that much detail in the movie. So But they're always villains, so maybe he got ripped off by an antique dealer and now he's pissed off and been writing about it for thirty <laughs> years. 
Maybe he's still mad about the Friday the 13th series. Oh, God. <laughs> All of the haunted objects, bring them to me. How did that have anything to do with Friday the 13th? It didn't. At all. <laughs> no, I've never figured out how they tie in. Except hmm. maybe Jason's mask is in the store. <laughs> yeah, I think there's. I think that was the premise, is that Jason's mask is kind of the haunted item, so they wanted a cursed haunted item miniseries kind of thing. Uh, trivia, the main guy who plays in the Friday 13th series is the main actor who plays in Jason Goes to Hell. Well, that cool. makes sense then. Because when Jason goes to hell, Jason's powers are transferable. Yep. <sighs> Good movie. That's a tangent. <laughs> it's still so, horror. So here's a question. Comparing the two strikers, who do you prefer more, James Mason or Donald Sutherland? Holy shit. X, have you seen the new one? I've seen parts of it. I've seen Donald Sutherland in it, yeah. Donald uh, Sutherland was fantastic, but James Mason. Is James Mason. Yeah. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. James Mason is always James Mason. So uh, that kind of makes yeah. me like Sutherland a little bit better. True. A little bit yeah. more nuance there. The thing where he sticks out his tongue and does the goat horns. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was a little over the top. Like, I love Donald Sutherland, especially in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You know, just fantastic. But he was a little over the top with <laughs> with uh, Salem's Lot. I don't know. In I a think... good way, though. In a good way. Yeah, I thought Mason was so busy being James Mason, it was almost hard to understand what he was saying. And <laughs> four pedlocks and Well, I happen to own two suits, sir. What do you want to bring in? Am I a suspect? Do I take it, sir? Yes. Italian for goodbye, child. <laughs> The sheriff was kind of robbed of some scenes, right? He's like, see if he's really in, into the investigation. And then, yeah, and then he runs away. Then yeah. he's, you know, he's packing his family away. Like, I feel like I was missing something between there, you know? Like, I think they got kind of confused and got their focus on David and, and his little spiel that they forgot the minor characters. Yeah. Well, things, yeah, things escalate quickly. Mm-hmm. And probably more quickly than they should have. Again, my argument for make it longer. Because, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's investigating the case, and all of a sudden there's dead vampire babies and that woman, <laughs> that vampire woman in the morgue. Oh, Lord. Oh. You've mentioned it. Now we have to discuss special effects. <laughs> <laughs> in vanishing <laughs> vampires. Oh, man. Why? Oh. And only one of them vanishes. Yeah, that's the only one. Yeah, like we'll make her vanish because we can't afford to do any, you know, <laughs> turning her into dust or anything like that. Right. And it's so unimpressive that they were thought, uh, let's knock some shit over when she leaves. <laughs> so it's about know. as impressive as the special effects from Nosferatu. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But that was, you know, in the early 1900s. <laughs> it had an excuse. Yeah, we had progressed since then. But yeah. <laughs> She disappears, and the bedpan tray falls over, and a tray of tools falls over, and we're like, oh, that was supernatural as hell. Wow. (laughs) And he used those effects for Poltergeist. (laughs) Very much so. He mastered them. Yeah, he mastered gravity-controlled effects. (laughs) 
Is there any way we can make this thing, I don't know, fall over? <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> I've got <laughs> it. A stage hand. <laughs> Let the gapper get down there and do something. Alright, so let's um let's rate this. I've decided on this show that we're going to rate each film. Ratings. Huh? Ratings, huh? Okay. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we should start rating movies by something that's that's actually part of the film instead of having a standardized rating system. Because why would I do anything <laughs> the same way twice? Um, so let's let's give this one to five sharpened steaks. Okay. One to five. Okay. Tommy, you go first. Oh man. <clears throat> okay. Let's see. <laughs> I would, give, uh, I would give. The, I would give. I I usually rate movies pretty leniently, uh, even if they're pretty bad. You know, I usually go mid. So, I actually really love this, and I didn't watch it when I was ten. You know, watching it as an adult, um, I'd probably go four steaks. Four, yeah. Yeah, there okay. was because, like we brought up, there could have been an extra hour given to it just to brush up the minor characters. Mm-hmm. And two, it clearly made me never want to buy a Jeep Wrangler because those doors <laughs> are impossible to close. <laughs> yeah, he's driving down the street and the door is wide open. So. Yeah, he's like trying to move on to the scene, but he's like slamming the door. I wonder how much of that they edited out because he looks like he's frustrated, not with the vampires killing his friends. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm four stakes. There's, you know, there's a lot to like. But there's uh, yep. there are some annoyances for sure. I think I give it four steaks too, mostly because of losing a steak for the lack of good special effects and uh, poor lighting. Well, uh, soap opera lighting. Yeah, like the church. That thing was lighted up pretty strangely. Like yeah. the pendulum. It's like a soap opera. Yeah. Yeah. Everything flat, no shadows. Some of the composition music was pretty good, though, like the overture. It's very, you know, very oh, uh, soap opera, but a little bit of opera, maybe. Yeah, it was it was over the top enough to make it work. I think the music actually carried um, a lot of scenes that the acting didn't. Yeah, the acting or the mm-hmm. special effects faltered, like the dun 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 falling trays of the vanishing vampires. <laughs> Flashing give... blue holy water. Yes. <laughs> they found us again. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If there's no water in that, they can't tell anything if the vampires have found them or not. It must <laughs> always be filled with holy water. Yeah, I'm going to give this four stakes also. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I mean, the Danny Glick scene that terrified me as a child is still pretty creepy. Um, mm-hmm. I really do dislike Lance Kerwin in this movie. So that's why that's 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 really one of my main reasons I didn't give it a full four and a half or five. It's just I want to tell you the history of everything, and I want to enunciate it very clearly. So it just didn't it didn't feel real at all. It's like I have memorized these lines, and I shall say them. Just just emotionless and weird. Just. Uh, and really odd coming from a kid that looks like one of the Partridge family. Yeah, no kid. <laughs> God, that kid was so popular back in the seventies. He had his own series and everything. <laughs> what yeah. series? It was called James at fifteen. 
Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, that was him. Just basically, I have a bicycle, but I want to smoke pot and get laid. How will I do that in this horrible <laughs> suburban environment that I'm in? Uh, just Sounds great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great in some ways. <laughs> all right, so wow, that's pretty amazing. We all gave the film the same rating, so that's mm-hmm. a... That's a recommendation. If you have, oh, definitely a recommendation. If you have three oh, yeah, or four yeah. hours, yeah, if you have three or four hours to kill, yeah, well, please watch the original Salem's Lot. And this was the first time I'd seen it, so it's not like I have the nostalgia factor of having seen it when I was a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, tell you what, I guess that's going to wind this one down pretty well. Duncan, please tell us where we can find your fiction. Amazon. As always, and DuncanRalston.com. Excellent. Uh, Tommy, the same to you. Direct our listeners to your body of purchasable work. Uh, Yes, you can find uh, my work on the altar of Amazon as well. Um, You can also check me out at MachineMean.org, where we have a running series of Universal Monsters for Review, and there's also um, links to buy an assortment of books by not just myself but other authors as well and you can also find all of my work at the mouth of amazon also um (laughs) the only store in town it's the only store (laughs) the only place to buy books but yes it will search for jeffrey x martin and lo and behold there shall my books appear i also have a website (laughs) jeffreyxmartin.com and a blog that i haven't updated in weeks so gosh enjoy that (laughs) um Thank you for listening to Screen Kings, and join us on our next episode where we will talk about the adaptation Stephen King has been most vocal about hating. Hey. Stanley Kubrick's take on The Shining. Yes. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. (laughs) That's going to be fun. (laughs) Well, we should probably also note, or maybe make mention of our own opinion, should Stephen King hate that movie? As the writer of it, I feel like he has... Uh, he's got a point. He's got a point. Yeah, yeah. It's not his movie. It's a great movie, but it's not his movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but then the one they made that was his movie? <laughs> Mostly because of the acting, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into that on the next episode. Let's not shoot our wad about that here. By <laughs> all means, let's wait till the next time. That's it for Duncan and Tommy. I am X, and we will talk to you next time. See ya. Later.